The UK has a healthy number of small bicycle brands and one of the rising stars is Temple Cycles. Founded by Matt Mears in 2014, this young company has an ambition to make cycling accessible and sustainable with stylish, simple and low maintenance bicycles. On the launch of a brand new road bike, we sat down for a conversation about the challenges of running a small company, a desire to make bicycles that last and a dream to get more people cycling. Okay, Matt, great to have you on the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm really good, thanks. Um, it's crazy hot, so just about dealing with the weather, but it's nice. Yeah, there's a heat wave here. So we're here in Bristol in your head office, uh, warehouse, where you assemble the bikes. We had a look around, we'll show you some of viewers that later. But we're here to talk about primarily your new road bike, which you've just launched. We'll talk about that in a bit more. But before we dive into detail on that, can we talk about how Temple Cycles founded, mm. you know, the story behind the origin of the brand? Sure. Um, so, I mean, I think it goes without saying, but I'm sure every bike school business owner is obsessed with bikes and has been their whole life. And that's definitely the same with me. So I, I grew up in Somerset uh, riding mountain bikes, BMXs, um, all through my teenage years and just would spend countless hours doing that. Um, loved it. Um, fell in love with bicycles, tinkering with bicycles, uh, digging trails in the woods, um, customizing bicycles, almost all the time that was always on my mind um, and then basically I moved to Bristol to uh, go study mechanical engineering uh, at Bristol Uni and that was really exciting. Um, I was going down the renewable energy route so I was going to become a renewable energy engineer and that's kind of a career direction I was going in. Um, however when I was studying I kind of had a bit of a side hustle so I had a sort of side business which I set up which was uh, finding you know, old barn finds. Like I'd go down to like Somerset and go out to old farms and stuff and pick up old vintage rallies from the 60s and the 70s, like really beautiful old Renault steel frame road bikes. Um, and I would basically restore them and then sell them on in Bristol, uh, on Gumtree, on eBay, through word of mouth. Um, had a little business, like a yeah, vintage bicycle restoration business. And it was nice. It was really good to be doing throughout my studies. Um, I learned a lot about the bicycle industry, obviously built up contacts and, you know, trade accounts and started to make it more of a kind of polished uh, business. However, towards the end of university, when I was thinking about uh, jobs and stuff like that and going into renewable, renewable energy, I basically realized that I loved working for myself. I really want to work with bicycles um, so what I did is I started to think you know how can I kind of make this more scalable um, vintage bikes were a finite resource obviously so I need something which um, can scale a bit better so I basically started designing uh, my own bikes um, using all the sort of skills I'd learned through my engineering degree um, all my kind of knowledge of what I thought was good about bikes I'd sort of gained over my lifetime and then combining the aspects I loved about classic vintage bikes, i.e. steel frames, uh, serviceability, uh, longevity, all that kind of stuff, with modern bikes and so modern technology, slightly more modern materials where possible, and basically um, started out with two bikes, uh, the classic lightweight and the step-through lightweight. Um, got a batch of just 50 frames made um, in Taiwan, uh, got them sent over, uh, got a local powder coater in Bridgewater, to powder coat them, I think did like four colors initially, um, and started building them up as custom builds for initially just friends and family. Um, and at that point, you know, I was just happy to start selling bikes. And then kind of lo and behold, strangers started buying my bikes as well. So I remember selling one, someone found me on Twitter, 
and someone basically um, ordered one from Edinburgh. And I was like, wow, okay, uh, maybe I'm onto something here. So sort of since then, kind of like year on year, um, demand's been basically going up. Um, we've expanded the range, expanded the team, um, gone from essentially a one-man band, so myself working in a small workshop in Somerset, um, moved out to Bristol, took on employees, um, sort of scaled up every, every, every year, basically. Um, but I do sort of hark back to the early days, so this was like seven years ago now, when it was just me and I had a little Renault Kango van and I would drive around the streets and I would literally rock up in the middle of like Bristol, uh, get some bikes out of the van, put them on like a double stand and have a little table and hand out flyers. And, you know, back then when you're starting a business, you do everything and it's awesome and it's super exciting. I also think like if you're thinking about, you know, being self-employed or starting your own business, just go for it. It's, you know, it's definitely better to do it earlier on if you can. You've got less to lose, you know, like um, you know, if, you're, if you're coming from like a sort of a career um, and like quite an established sort of situation and suddenly giving it up to start your own businesses can be harder. So I would definitely encourage you to like, if you've got the idea, got the spark, just go with it because it's awesome. And you learn so, so much early on. Like I learned so much. I had to self-teach myself photography, graphic design, website design, um, all the kind of e-commerce backend kind of stuff. Um, all the way through to like basic accounting and that kind of thing. So you kind of basically get put into this whirlwind of learning. And if anything, even if like your business doesn't work out, it's awesome because you've learned so many skills. Um, so I'm sort of sidetracking. That's good. No, good. So your yeah. degree in mechanical engineering, has that been useful? Yeah, definitely. Definitely from like a materials perspective, uh, from a design for manufacturing perspective, um, and from a general understanding of the way things work. Yeah. I'd say we sort of, the layers and levels of things that it doesn't give you is sort of, it's not so focused. It's, it's focused around, but the course I did was had some elements which was designed for manufacture, which is, you know, how to design stuff that can be manufactured easily, minimizing the risk of like um, failures, minimizing the risk of like stuff being assembled incorrectly. Um, but it didn't sort of go deep into sort of supply chain or like sort of sourcing and stuff like that. And that's actually a big part of bicycle design is essentially like knowing what you can get hold of especially now with the situation with COVID, you, you have to make sort of decisions based on, you know, component A versus component B. Let's say component A is better, but you, can, you can't get hold of them and the suppliers actually, you know, have, you know, not being able to consistently deliver. So you have different sort of metrics you evaluate your supply with. Um, and uh, yeah, so I'd say mechanical engineering, really, really good. The most important thing about it was like understanding materials, understanding metal um, and... Um, yeah, applying that over to bicycle design. An interesting thing that come out of COVID is I think we're all of us more aware of how the supply chain works and how many complex steps there are um, and, and how every step has been kind of squeezed and stressed more than, and I guess building a bicycle brand, figuring out that supply chain and where you get bicycles made and the components supply is quite a big challenge. There's no guidebook to say, building a bicycle brand, go to the factory, go to the vendor. Yeah. You have to learn that or yourself and find out who you speak to, word of mouth and... Exactly, exactly. It's like another interesting thing. I, I was always fascinated with the bicycle industry from an early age. Um, so yeah, I guess from about the age of 12, I started thinking, where is this stuff coming from? Where Where is this handlebar made? Um, you know, who makes these saddles? All that kind of stuff. And then I was, I was always fascinated with like, you know, in, in the UK and in Europe, you kind of, you just see the... For forward-facing side of the industry, you see all the brands and the nice bikes and the bike shops. Yet, obviously, there's this huge powerhouse of you know bicycle manufacturing and component manufacturing and design, 
which happens like which you don't see because it's all you know business to business it's all trade shows and like it's quite an old school industry obviously the bicycle industry i mean it's been around for a long long time it's very established and there's so many companies that you've just never heard of which is it's mind-blowing and there's so much talent in the industry there's so many people doing awesome things and you know you go to like Eurobike and you can kind of see a lot of that because at Eurobike you have a lot of the brands but also you have a lot of the manufacturers as well and a lot of the kind of like um yeah a lot of the sort of Taiwanese and Chinese manufacturers there as well you go to like um Taipei Cycle Show for example and it's just inspiring like the kind of things people can make and how much the industry branches out and kind of also merges with other industries as well um it's pretty awesome it's not this idea of one big factory making everything it's lots and lots of small factories so especially many. in different areas and they all come together because the bicycle is very complex yeah oh, there's so many small components on it so but many small components and you just get you get you get suppliers which just fully specialize you know you, you might you might go to like uh, a trade show and you'll see one supplier and they've just basically got a hundred different Garmin CNC Garmin mounts in anodized colors, and that's their thing. It's like, okay, <laughs> fine, You've, you're nailing it with the Garmin. Yeah, got their niche. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you go to one, it's just they just do, they just do stems, yeah. or you know, they just do handlebars. And yeah, you've got some big players for sure, which um, you recognize uh, when, like, you know, when you go into a bike shop, you will see sort of these big brands of like component manufacturers and stuff like that. Um, and then yeah, you've got just dozens and dozens and dozens, but hundreds of these smaller suppliers as well. So you've come a long way in seven years. We're yeah. now in your very large uh, warehouse. Lots of employees running around making bikes. And um, so you learned a lot of lessons and come a long mm. way in seven years. But you start off by refurbing vintage bikes. Mm-hmm. And your bikes now, your range, they're very much harking back to that sort of classic traditional style of bikes. So that's clearly a theme from when you started at that side hustle to now as a brand. So that's clearly something that's close to your heart, I guess, that style of bike. Definitely. So the kind of way I see it is, um at temple like um one of our sort of strongest sort of missions is to essentially make bicycles which last so um it, and that kind of transcends transcends down to the aesthetics of the bike as well mm-hmm. so basically we want to make bikes which are universally serviceable we want to make bikes which are still going to be usable in you know 20 30 maybe 40 years time um the way we do that is by making sure the bikes um like i always say to people we're not making high performance bikes we're not making anything like that's going to win a race we're just taking what we think bikes should be distilling it down to like its pure form we're just making them really really well so good quality materials good quality finishing really good quality control all that kind of stuff um and because we want our bikes to last and we kind of got to make them timeless so we don't want them to age badly so you know we keep things really minimal so we have like minimal graphics very neutral apart from the yellow behind us but yeah. uh, normally very neutral colors minimal branding and then when it comes to like if you were to describe a temple yeah it looks kind of classic looks kind of vintage but if you look at our like adventure disc for example it's a nice blending of timelessness with a sort of silver components and maybe like a brook saddle but with like modern components as well so the black wheels um sort of higher end group sets in black that kind of thing um, so yeah, we, we're kind of like got our own kind of style and I think people really like that and it definitely helps us stand out from, I guess, the sort of more modern uh, kind of covered in graphics kind of bikes that you see a lot of these days. Do you think people consider how long a bike would last when they're buying it? Or is that something that's starting to change with the kind of awareness of the environment and sustainability and carbon footprints? Definitely. So a lot of our customers coming to us um, really like what we do. 
but I love the bike for personally the bikes but bikes ride amazing as well like you know because we put so much care and attention into the details and the finish and the design they ride brilliantly so they kind of sell themselves from that perspective but yeah definitely a lot of our customers are conscious about you know they want to invest in something quality that's going to last they they like the idea of being able to sort of you know use their bike for a long time maybe pass it down through the generations um so yeah they're they, they're often are you know citing reasons that they purchase um being the fact that the bike is yeah sustainable um another great thing is we use reynolds steel reynolds just put out a um sustainability report recently um which is really interesting but you know steel frames are a really good sustainable option in terms of the carbon footprint involved in producing the frame um also reynolds steel um comes from 100% recycled steel sources mm-hmm. and at the end of its life which let's hope let's hopefully will be in like several decades time it can easily be recycled or it can be repaired quite easily which isn't something you get with like a carbon fiber frame or not so much an aluminium frame um so yeah so from a sustainability point of view we're all about product quality long product life cycle and also the ability to recycle the bulk of the bike at the end of its life and then universal serviceability so you know you should be able to take our bikes to most bike shops and they can get service you can find spare parts for them that kind of thing so never be a carbon fiber temple Not that's the charge. plan the plan is never to have <laughs> carbon fiber uh, uh, in the frames at all um you know if if they can get better at like recycling carbon fiber yeah. for sure uh, we'll consider that kind of thing but i say at the moment our kind of thing is steel frame and also we're massive steel frame advocates we think yeah, you get a slight weight penalty, but not much. You'd be surprised. And just the ride quality you get is is lovely. And the form of the steel frame of the thin tubes and it's got classic shapes. That's kind of what we're going for as well. How can you be so confident that the bike will last many decades? What will that come down to? Okay, so obviously we are only seven years old. So uh, we, we haven't necessarily got proof that our bikes will last other than lab testing. Okay. But obviously lab testing, you know, puts it through these sort of tests and these simulations of impact tests and stress tests and um, drawn out over a period of time. However, it's never going to be the same as actual real world testing. And you never know what customers get up to on their bikes, you yeah. know, what they, you know, attaching things to it, trailers, <laughs> carrying people on it, all that sort of thing. Um, but in terms of like feeling assured that our bikes will last is the fact that firstly we're using um, we, TIG frame, a uh, TIG welded Reynolds steel frames, yeah. um, which to some degree are over designed. You know, they're, they're tough, they're really tough. Um, and we have really good quality paint finish on there, which helps protect the frame. So I guess using our kind of experience and knowledge, and especially with my experience with engineering and like knowing about manufacturing and the quality of things and how well they're made, I will like fully back the fact that our bikes will last a long, long time. Obviously, you still have to look after it. You can't leave it outside rusting in the yeah. rain. You've got to care for it. Um, and then you've got evidence, you know, when you look at all the bikes in the streets today, the ones which are 40 years old, what are they? They're all steel frames, yeah. you know? And um, that's kind of the evidence and the kind of reasoning behind us saying our bikes are built to last. Yeah, well, I, I bumped into a, a chap on an old Peugeot, like 40-year-old road yeah. bike. I mean, he's in the 80s now, right into the... To the cafe coffee and a bike i mean a bit battered but they're still going exactly it's still going while you've been going for seven years you still you have the fact that steel frames have been used for so many years and mm. have that um, and you're ensuring that the build quality is as good as it can be using your engineering experience and then using kind of standard components and parts yeah so there won't be any sort of standard 
change in a few years' time. I've bought brackets or headsets, so you can always get replacement parts. It's key. Always get replacement parts um, is really, really key. Um, yeah, I think like we, that, that's kind of what we're almost like fighting against. And you do have to sort of give in in certain aspects. Like, for example, on our adventure discs, uh, we've got through axles, we've got flat mounts. Yeah. Um, you have to like give in to a certain extent when you, when you do want the performance, for sure. And you do want to be able to spec the higher quality or like the, you know, the higher specification parts, for sure. Um, but yeah, realistically, you can take this yellow one here, for example. It's really, really simple bike, you know. Uh, and it, any bike shop should actually be quite happy to service it because it's easy to service. Yeah. You know, all external cables, yeah. um, rim brakes, standard sizes, um, no weird seat post size, this, that, and the other. Like, standardization is good, um, for sure, for bikes. Yeah. When it starts becoming too many different standards, obviously that can get a bit tricky. But yeah, we kind of... Yeah, pretty happy with like how serviceable that yellow one is. And like example. anywhere in the world as well, I guess any bike shop, yeah. India, America, UK. Yeah, exactly. It's all, you know, standard wheel sizes. Um, everything's standardized. Okay. Yeah. So the reason we're here to talk about the new road bike you yeah. launched uh, just recently, which is a bit of a move into a new area for the brand. Um, for sure. Performance. What's the idea behind that? And how does it fit into the kind of brand? So at Temple... Um, there's a lot of a lot of us here who are into all sorts of cycling. I mean, you've seen today the, the random selection of bikes we've got. Yeah, quite around. a few different star bikes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> all sorts from like vintage mountain bikes to like old shopper bikes to like uh, like uh, modern road bikes, yeah. everything. Um, but in terms of our new road bike, the kind of idea behind this is um, essentially at the moment we do gravel bikes, touring bikes, and like commuter and town bikes, um, and one thing we've never explored is the road bike and it is especially in the uk you know very popular form of cycling um and it's got a lot of sort of heritage lots of like really old established cycling clubs and that's that really does like inspire us in that sense but like it's in the uk like we love our hobbies don't we yeah. and you know in the uk you get lots of people who cycle and they cycle for like hobby reasons um, and they quite often will go out and sort of, yeah, like in their cycling clubs. And we want to make like the perfect kind of road bike, club bike kind of thing. Okay. So, you know, it's got all the fittings for mud guards. Um, it's in terms of the way it handles, it's, it's pretty responsive. It's pretty rapid. Like it can keep up with the fast bikes for sure. Um, it's uh, taking things up a level in terms of performance. We've never sort of focused so much on speed as an example, um, but this bike is fast for sure um and yeah essentially from like a business perspective of course having like a new bicycle in the lineup which opens you up to a whole new part of the market is good as long as we can like you know do it well um we don't want to make any compromises that's somewhat why it's taken such a long time for us to bring a road bike out um but yeah it's you know it opens us up to new people um people who maybe wouldn't have come to temple before because we don't do a road bike now we'll maybe start looking and you know get into our brand and like what we do and you know if we could sell them a road bike or a frame set then great and it's a lovely looking bike there'll be a separate video on one soon hopefully uh Renault steel frame and fork as well which is quite rare yeah carbon forks so that's um yeah a bold move. exactly so Renault's 853 frame and fork so every single tube on the bike is Renault's 853 um which feels amazing to ride obviously there's a little bit of placebo on there as well uh <laughs> but 
you know, if placebo works, and that's great. But it feels brilliant to ride. Um, and yet sticking kind of true to our roots by just going full steel. Yeah. There was talk about a carbon fork, um, but we really feel that like the bike performs amazingly with a steel fork. It looks awesome and it kind of gives it that differentiation to like what else is out on the market. Mm-hmm. So the company is clearly growing well, growing fast. How do you manage your growth and expectation from customers and, 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 and retain that sort of identity of the brand? Mm. For sure, that's a really, really good question. So um, it's growing. So like we need to be like really diligent with keeping that kind of core ethos about, you know, firstly is making really, really good quality bikes and also offering really good customer service. So we're a direct-to-consumer brand. So we sell direct to customers all over the world. Um, when it comes to the bikes themselves, about two years ago, <clears throat> we kind of realized that things were starting to scale up and we were maybe starting to lose like the kind of uh, sort of the kind of built to order kind of nature of things. And we need to scale up so we could more efficiently produce bikes, but still keep the quality there. Mm-hmm. So we actually started um, a whole kind of uh, production plan and it was quite sort of cheesily named like the future of production of temple <laughs> cycles. And it's about a sort of, you know, a document about this sort of thick, uh, quite a few pages in there where we cover a lot of the kind of, essentially pillars of production. Yeah. Um, and uh, it goes all the way through from the kind of like training in the workshop to you know the sub-assemblers to the mechanics to the head mechanic kind of skills matrix, all our systems and processes documented, all our sub-assemblies documented with guides. So essentially any sort of new starter can basically get this uh, sort of wealth of knowledge and get to the standards. Because we do things our own way. Every bicycle manufacturer probably has their own kind of way of yeah. doing things. and we have our own way of doing things and we have to also make sure like the quality once the bike the bike is working perfectly uh, when it goes in the box because we need to make sure that when the end consumer gets it out of the box it's working perfectly a lot of other bike brands will sell through bike shops so the bike shop will do the sort of pdi the check on the bike before the customer gets it whereas we just don't necessarily get that step so every bike gets thoroughly t- test ridden on the sort of cycle lanes around here before they go in the box um and thoroughly inspected um but yeah in terms of like growing and scaling this you've got to be careful for sure you have to plan things out um you have to essentially project forward a few years and sort of behave as if you're a bigger company um you have to implement new systems and processes so along with this future of production plan um we you know we, we started using some different inventory management and manufacturing software so like a one bike order can be tracked from you know when the order comes in online to when the frame gets painted, the frame gets prepped, and the bike gets built up into a fully finished bicycle at the end. Uh, it can be tracked along the way. We know who's built it as well. Uh, we know sort of, yeah, which hands it's gone through in the workshop, and everything has like a batch sort of assigned to it. So we can trace things back. So traceability is important. Um, so yeah, essentially, to answer your question more succinctly, to cope with scaling up, it's just about systems and processes and making sure you have your kind of temple way nailed down and adhered to amongst the whole team. Yeah. I think it's important to note as well that the bikes don't arrive in a box from Taiwan. I mean, the frames are manufactured overseas, but everything arrives in the component parts mm-hmm. and they're built up, as you're seeing down below, they're all built up by mm. hand to order each yeah. frame. So it has that sort of care and tension mm. that you might not get from another brand, but you are putting that into each yeah, bike, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. So basically uh, we get the frames uh, made in Taiwan and Vietnam at the moment. Um, we get them uh, sent over. We then uh, work with a powder coater in Cardiff 
So they're quite a big powder coater. So we're in Bristol now, so it's not far to get yeah. to Cardiff. So we send the van over every week with a load of frames. They get painted. They come back here. Uh, all the frames then get, we call it prepped, prepping and facing. Yeah. So head tubes reamed and faced, headsets installed, every single uh, eyelet and thread tapped out, um, all the five more belts put in, bottom bracket tapped as well and faced, and then they hang up in the rafter. And then we've got a few sub-assemblies. So we have a handlebar sub-assembly, which we do separately, wheel sub-assembly, uh, which is tires, tubes, cassettes, rotors. Um, and uh, then basically the bike gets picked and then one builder will take it from start to finish okay. and then it gets put in as the rack, QC'd, test ridden, and then either collected by a customer here in Bristol or boxed up and sent to wherever. So you buy a temple, you know you built it. Yes, yeah, so every temple's got a little decal down okay. by the bottom bracket which says who it's yeah, built by. a frame, that's cool. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, here's a nice touch. Yeah. Have you ever considered getting the frames made in the UK, like Brompton? Is that something you've looked at or is it? Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's, um, I guess, like, we want to be making really good quality bikes for um, under a thousand pounds, which we're doing at the moment. If we start doing UK made frames, there'll be more, but we are going to do that. But it will be rather than sort of bulk production like we're doing now, um, well, not bulk production, but rather than, yeah, the sort of batch production size we're doing now, it would be much smaller batch sizes. So that's just because the UK doesn't have the capacity to make the frames and the quantity you want at the price. It doesn't, you need. yeah. So the, we can't get the quantity we need. Um, but as an example, we're going to do like a limited edition UK made mountain bike frame. Okay. So that would be uh, fully made in the UK. Yeah. Um, it will be Reynolds steel tubing. Um, but rather than doing, you know, the numbers we do here, we do a batch of like 30 limited okay. editions sort okay. of thing. Um, we can get, a, you know, the price to a good price for that. And there's, there's, there's people we can work with for sure. And we've got good connections with people to be making those. But in terms of like the kind of scale of the business now, um, it's yeah not feasible right now but um, as part of our sort of longer term vision our bigger vision it is to like bring back as much sort of manufacturing to the UK as possible because we used to be obviously a manufacturing powerhouse when it came to bikes yeah. so like we're doing that and our contribution to that is like the assembly side of things yeah. and trying to scale and grow that and gain expertise and skills and sustainable jobs in that sphere and then that will extend further and further and further hopefully but you know right now the focus is like yeah, the assembly production. And I know the price is a keen thing for you, trying to keep price as low as possible to make buying a temple more accessible for more people, get more people on bikes. So the price is key for you at the moment. To, price is key. Like you could do a, a British-made frame, but you wouldn't have the price down to where... We, yeah, exactly, exactly. We've got to be thinking about margins, you know. We've got to be thinking about, yeah, how this works from a profitability point of view. Um, and, yeah, we could do UK-made frame. And uh, it's really exciting to get into those sorts of projects. Um, but yeah, in terms of under a thousand pounds, that would not be possible. Okay. Another sort of relatively new launch is an e-bike. Mm. I know you work on e-bikes. So how does e-bikes fit in when you're adding a motor and a battery to a bike that you're saying should last forever or last for a long time? And mm. then also, you know, how does it fit into you know, getting people on a bike? And I know you're quite passionate about mobility and yeah. bikes are transport. Yeah. So the e-bike is uh, really interesting. So we've um, just kind of like ventured into this sector so we actually launched our e-bike back in november okay um oh we've got some noise going on says that's okay yeah We're, we are upstairs in the warehouse so yeah. there's some noise in the background hopefully it won't distract too much but, uh, yeah 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 a, well that door a, keeps a, working business so, uh. yeah exactly <laughs> um so um so e-bikes so 
It's definitely like been sort of a bit of a challenge to kind of work out how it can fit in with our ethos of built to last, like you mentioned. Yeah. Um, because let's face it, electric bikes are a technology focused product. You know, batteries are improving, motors are improving. An e-bike now looks very different to an e-bike, you know, five or six years ago. Um, so we're under no illusions that we're going to need to essentially be iterating at a higher frequency and improving our electric bike to make it competitive in the marketplace. Um, the worst thing in the world for us would be to see our electric bikes like ending up in a landfill. And that is actually like, I think can be a big problem because essentially these electric bikes, when, when the brand stops supporting those particular types of battery or the tech moves on or, you know, they can become quite redundant pretty quickly. Mm. So for us, what we're working on is with our electric bike, the one we've got at the moment, it's got a mid-drive motor. So let's say in like, you know, 10 years time and, and the e-bike is compared to what you can get, like probably nowhere near as good performing. So the consumer might stop using it, but we don't want them to stop using it. We want them to be able to easily convert their electric bike into a normal bike. Okay. Um, so we're working on a way to swap out the mid-drive motor for like a regular kind of bottom bracket shell which will get bolted in there. And then obviously with the battery, um, there's more and more emerging sort of battery recycling schemes. So we're working on like how we're going to approach battery recycling. Um, but then we would essentially uh, provide a, just a cover to cover where the battery was. Mm -hmm. So essentially makes our electric bike into a normal bike, which can still be used perfectly well as a normal bike. That's our kind of solution is to basically make our e-bikes convertible into normal bikes. Um, but yeah, at, at, in terms of like, steel we're not using steel on the e-bike frame we're using okay. aluminium uh, obviously that allows us to kind of hide the battery um okay. it gives it a more modern look but i like to sort of think we've managed to maintain the kind of temple aesthetics with yeah. the electric bike i guess although doing e-bike is a challenge for the brand you can't ignore e-bike because they are huge and a big part of you know, hopefully our future in terms of integrating them into transport and solutions mm. and speaking from personal experience both my parents have e-bikes for the last few years and transformed oh, nice. their their lives and getting yeah. out on the bikes without relying on the car so much and, mm. and seeing that from a personal point of view how e-bike can transform yes. your life is quite tremendous it's awesome it's awesome seeing like it's brought so, e-bikes bring so much joy to people like yeah. your parents for example um my mum's got an e-bike she absolutely loves it yeah. and it opens up so much more options for them like you know if you live in a hilly area in the countryside um you know, before cycling maybe wouldn't have been an option, but now you've got this amazing thing you can go and explore all day on. Yeah. Um, and honestly, whenever I see people out on electric bikes, everyone's always so happy. Yeah. It's so nice. Um, it just, it's, it's wonderful to see. What's super interesting about the electric bike market as well is that it's not necessarily taking from the normal bike market. It's opening up, it's a whole new market. Yeah. You know, people buying e-bikes on the whole at the moment wouldn't be buying normal bikes. They're, you know, they're coming to it new. So that's why there's like all the, all the big brands are going crazy and it's like, oh, e-bikes for the next big thing. Because yeah, it's a whole new market being created, yeah. um, which is awesome. But yeah, in terms of like, I just love seeing in Bristol, it's quite a cycling city. But yeah, more and more people using e-bikes, e-cargo bikes, and essentially replacing car journeys. Yeah. It's awesome to see. Um, and just basically the more people riding bikes, the better. Um, and I think that, yeah, it's just the future's looking bright for bikes and electric bikes, for sure. Uh, hopefully the, you know, the benefits of somebody using an e-bike offset some of those issues we've talked about, the future-proofing and stuff. Mm. And I like seeing that everybody is potentially an e-bike customer. Yeah. I mean, I ride an e-bike as well. 
so <laughs> I think e even like hardened cyclists will maybe at some point yeah. will have an e-bike in their wrap. You know, if you've got a few bikes in the garage, it wouldn't be surprising that like you've got some nice high performance road bikes and you're into that side of things, maybe a nice mountain bike and also an e-bike just for doing errands on. Because yeah. it is a completely different riding experience. Like psychologically, if I've got to go nip over to a friend's house or go grab something from a shop, if I've got the e-bike, it's like, it's obviously a breeze. It's like yeah. no energy required to go use it. Uh, so it changes your mindset. And I, 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 it does definitely help you use bicycles more and more and more. Yeah. So if it's helping you use bikes more, then <coughs> that's ideal. Actually, yeah, I think maybe more kind of keen cyclists probably see e-bikes as a threat to their sort of enjoyment of cycling, but that's a wrong kind of mindset. It's, it complements the bike you already have. You use it in a different way, don't you? You use it in a different you way, use a, yeah. a, a non-assisted bike for you know, working your fitness or just going out to the club and use e-bike for in a different way, don't you? Exactly, yeah. So it's like you get so much joy out of a, a normal bike, for sure. Like you can't really beat the feeling of like having summited like an awesome hill just with your own power getting to the top and having a brilliant view and then enjoying the thrill of like the adrenaline as you come down the other side and just you know you can't beat that but you shouldn't be looking to replicate that with an electric bike electric bike yeah it's a completely different use case completely different feeling you get when you ride an electric bike my feeling when i ride an electric bike i'm just like oh cool that was efficient and easy and i'm here now not sweating yeah. and it's like yeah, it's, it is a different vehicle for sure. Uh, it has strong elements which link it to like a, a regular bike, but you've got to look at it through a different lens. Yeah, definitely. So we've talked about e-bikes and a touch on a mountain bike and you've got a new road bike. Any more kind of plans in the future? Do you have a kind of a, a timeline of bikes? Yeah, here? no, we do, we do. So um, how ambitious are you with Temple? Where Where's the limit to how big it would be and how many models could it cover? Um, so... Yeah, you don't want to sort of fall down with trappers bringing out more and more models, yeah. I kind of think. And essentially, it can become quite confusing for the customer. Yeah. Um, it's quite a nice, simple brand and range to get your head around, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's quite a simple range to get your head around at the moment. Um, in terms of where things are going, so um, we, I can't sort of reveal anything sort of too, well, you know, too secret, but like... It's a shame. We're, <laughs> we're, so we're not, we're, we're not a brand that essentially brings out a fresh range every year. Okay, That's yeah. not us. Yeah. Like we slowly evolve and improve our products when yeah. we can. So like this yellow one behind is pretty much unchanged since when I first designed that bike. Obviously a few specs on components has changed, but like in terms of like the geometry of the frame, the features of the frame, that's all stayed the same for years and years and years. Um, we will be like implementing improvements gradually across the range essentially. So our bikes should only get better and better and better. And, uh, but when it comes to like sort of new types of model, um, yeah, so like the sort of mountain bike kind of project limited edition thing, UK made mountain bike frame, that's one thing. Um, we've got the road bike coming out. Um, when it comes to the electric bike side of things, we've started Temple Electric as a sort of slightly separate thing. Okay. So at the moment we've got our sort of hybrid electric bikes, but we do foresee that kind of expanding a little bit more into um, electric cargo bikes, for example. And you also would like to do a super lightweight sort of short distance city electric bike, which you can easily carry up steps and stuff okay. like that. And um, with a few other features such as like handlebars, which can sort of fold sideways. So okay, yeah. I think for a lot of people in cities is that it is like bikes are actually quite big and bulky with like wide handlebars, handlebars and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And if you've got like a corridor to keep it in and stuff like that, yeah. it's really annoying. Yeah. So like working out ways to make cycling, it, it gets a bit more accessible and like an easy option for someone in a city. Um, so a lighter weight, yeah, yeah, more minimal kind of like sort of streamlined design, potentially something we can sort of fold away a little bit better. Um, 
So yeah, but like other than that, like we've got our core range, which does really, really well. I think like one thing we've sort of become sort of well known for in recent years is like the touring bikes and the gravel adventure bikes. Okay. That's the side of cycling that inspires me the most probably just you know, exploration on bikes. And um, I think we'll sort of be pushing on that a little bit more. Okay. So whether that involves more dedicated, pure touring bikes or maybe some fat attire touring bikes, that's a kind of area of the kind of market which um, we're pretty interested in as well. Because cycling has been going through, well, has gone through several decades of sort of racing focus, but we're seeing the whole growth of gravel for me is it harking back to that simplicity of like, touring bikes with panniers and fat tyres and you just mm. go ride over anything, you know, woodland trails or yeah. road and from church to cafe and stuff. And it's like, back to that simplicity of cycling. Back to the it's simplicity. It's not racing, it's not KOM, it's just no. riding for sheer enjoyment. It's just about being outside. Yeah. Like, you know, for me, I if I get back from a ride, I'm just happy that I've just been outside doing something fun that I love yeah. for like hours on end. Uh, being in nature, seeing cool things, you know, meeting people along the way, stopping off at a nice pub. Like just being outside is awesome. Um, and I think, yeah, if you take that to the next level and go bikepacking uh, or bike touring and just go camping out places, it's just so much fun. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Going back to um, this idea of making a bike to like, last a lifetime, possibly. If you're selling a bike to a customer and it's going to last them 10, 20 years, how do you get them back to buy another bike? Because that's a, most of the bike industry reliant on people buying a new bike every few years. And yeah. that's why I release so many bikes. And it's not just bike industry, it's like phones and watches and cars. Yeah. That kind of constant, almost relentless cycle. I know there's a bit of backlash for lots of consumers against that relentless drive for new products. Yeah. But how do you tackle that as a business for trying to mm. keep your come back yeah definitely and I, i'm talking about this a lot at the moment because we're raising investment to grow the business okay. to launch in germany at the moment and it's the sort of questions people ask is like you know we're not saying to a customer your old bikes your bike the temple you bought two years ago is out of date you yeah. need to buy a new one yeah. that's definitely not what we want to be encouraging so yeah how do we get customers to come back well i think that like one way we do that is by having um yeah a range of bikes so we might have one customer come to us and initially they buy a single speed for riding around town on. Yeah. And then they've always sort of known we do like a sort of gravel bike. And it might be like the start of their kind of cycling sort of journey and they might just be getting into it. But, you know, and maybe sort of four or five years down the line, they're like, you know what, I'm going to go cycle around France and on, like yeah. a, on, a, on a tour. I need something with gears and drop bars and they come back to Temple and they might buy uh, Adventure Disc, for example. So there's that kind of like progression and they want, might want to sort of upgrade essentially to something which has a different use case for what they've currently yeah. bought. Uh, another way we sort of can bring customers back um, is we have like parts and accessories. Okay. So um, we've got um, a full-time bag designer uh, okay. working with us who's work where we bought out a backpack um, which transforms into a pannier bag um, last year. And that's been, yeah, working really well for us. That's a very popular product. So having essentially these other accessories and like useful cycling related things, they can come back to to purchase. Um, other things we'll be looking at in the next couple of years will be cycle clothing as well. So, you know, nice jackets, nice jerseys, that kind of thing to yeah, keep them coming back. Is it also, I don't know if it's possible with business these days, like being content with maybe losing a few sales because maybe you sold one temple to a customer when they might have bought two bikes for another brand in that sort of same time frame of 10 years, perhaps. Mm. Can you be content with fewer sales, but with happy customers out there riding the same bike for 10 years, may sell them a few bags? And Yeah, I mean, I, I think we can be content. Like, 
for, for me personally, when I'm out uh, around in London or Bristol or anywhere and I see just a temple being ridden, I just get, it just makes me really, really happy. Yeah. When I see a temple that's been ridden and it looks like it's one of the old ones and it's been ridden hard, I'm like, that makes me really happy. <laughs> so like for me, like as a business owner, like I just love knowing our products are used a lot, used hard by people yeah. and loved. And um, that's the most important thing, actually, to be honest, it trumps out anything else. Just knowing we're, we're making good products which are being used, that's the main aim, really. You are in it to transform people's lives and you yeah, get people on bikes. And definitely. So it kind of comes into lots of the other things that we do. So I guess we're all about, yeah, making sustainable products that last, um, but also trying to inspire people to cycle more. So we don't just make bikes. We're a brand as well, right? And we've got, you know, our own social media. We've got a shop in London. Um, we use that essentially to help promote cycling and inspire people to cycle more. Okay. So we do ride outs, group rides. Okay. We do maintenance classes to sort of help people get to gist with like just basics like fixing a puncture, adjusting their brakes, adjusting their gears. We're doing a thing this weekend actually called Camp Out where we're taking um, 50 people plus all the team, the temple, out into the countryside to go camping and cycling. Um, just, yeah, just doing fun extra things to get people just inspired on bikes. Also really helps with our growth as a business as well because if people have a good experience buying from us and kind of really enjoy all the extra things we lay on for everybody then they recommend to their friends and a lot of our growth actually has come from word of mouth and okay. recommendations and i think it all plays a big part of brand building community building just trying to get more people riding you've answered one of my questions already that i always ask brands like how does it feel when you see somebody on your own product but you oh, say it makes you very happy makes me really the more happy battered, the, the happier you are yeah you rush them to get a photo yeah i do i'll get photos <laughs> and like like, who are you, mate? So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I, I like li literally last night, I was um, cycling up to North Bristol to see a friend, and I saw a guy with an adventure disc. And I was like, yeah. "How's the bike going?" And sort of chatted yeah. about it. He's cool. loving it. He just picked it up actually. Um, and yeah, it just makes you really happy. And then you'll see random ones like it's locked up in the street, and it's like, well, I haven't seen that one before. Like, we bought out a new bike called Metro, and I hadn't seen one in the wild oh, for right, ages. Okay, yeah. And I saw the first one in the wild, like a couple of weeks ago and it must be quite fascinating to see how people are adapting or adopting your bikes and using maybe ways and expecting like what they're wearing or how they got set up or exactly yeah you're seeing like um yeah and people you know for example we had a couple of customers just do the tcr okay, on yeah. our bikes so we had oh, wow. two bikes and the tcr and like they'd obviously modded theirs with like aero bars yeah, yeah. all these different bags and this that and the other it's quite cool to see their setup um, but a lot of people don't change their bikes that much, to be honest, because okay. we've kind of just like nailed down a really simple design on most of the models. So it's like just kind of is what it is and it does it's what fit, it needs to do. Fit for purpose. So if you yeah, are, exactly. Are, yeah. Modifying it stuff. Yeah. So um, where do you see, I mean, you come a long way in seven years, as we talked about. Where do you see Temple in our seven years? Cheesy question, I know. But where, where, what's the future of Temple? What's the grand plan? Grand plan is definitely to, to grow the business. Um, we see there's like, really good potential for, for a business like us. Um, we're seeing that with like year on year growth and stuff like that. So there's a lot of potential to carry on growing. Um, we see like uh, the German market is a massive opportunity for us. Okay. So um, we currently export 16% of our bikes. Um, most of those are actually going to Germany. Um, so there's a really good opportunity for us. So uh, in the sort of grander plan, it would be having like, an established operation, uh, distribution of our bikes, in Europe yeah. that that would be a sort of key thing 
Um, then we'd look to like the US and stuff like that okay. and further, further afield. Um, it would be also expanding out the electric bike side of things because electric bikes were going to be a big part of the future. And essentially just growing the team and upscaling sort of as we have year on year on year. So essentially to give you an idea of how quickly we're growing, like um, we did an equity crowdfunding round back in 2017, um, which was really, really, really good thing to do. And we got 150 separate investors on board wow. from like the cycling industry to uh, sort of friends and family to yeah. other businesses we work with. Um, all, all who essentially chipped in through uh, equity crowdfunding and we raised £200,000. Wow. Um, and back then, like, that was awesome and it allowed us to really sort of scale things up. So with that investment, we basically have upscaled our production capacity here in Bristol by 12 times wow. with that. So what it means is, like, we've just been growing our operation, employing more people, making more bikes here in Bristol. So, like, we want to continue on that, essentially upscaling year on year as the demand increases that's sort of and retain that sort of brand identity and without losing that sort of the feeling of the brand i guess while you're growing yeah definitely so we've got to yeah like like we mentioned sort of earlier maintain that identity um and i think make sure customers also get the sort of service they yeah. deserve and stuff like that and make sure that isn't lost so you know we kind of we bend over backwards for customers um to essentially make sure they're happy um with their bikes and that they're sort of happy with the service and yeah that's i think that's super super important to make sure we don't lose that yeah because the uk is very good at creating like uh, independent small brands especially bike brands but few kind of scale up to you know a medium-sized company which you are i guess you know, it's very different from what you know making a few frames to making lots of frames on a bigger scale like you are yeah and the growing pains that are associated with that yeah it's um yeah, it's, there's lots of like growing pains for sure, and you have to be sort of quite. You have to be very strategic. Yeah. Um, I think that like I guess because our big, bigger vision is to grow and you know employ more people and to have a larger operation to kind of year on year, that just kind of drives us basically. Um, and like we get inspired, we get like so inspired by the likes of, like Brompton, for example, yeah. or like Frog Bikes, for example, who are just like producing really cool products and you know they've got these big established businesses yeah. making really good bikes and making lots of them and then like we were talking earlier about you know these sort of bigger uh, manufacturers in germany and all that kind of stuff and like we're inspired by that and like i, I from a sort of like nerdy engineering background i just love visiting factories yeah. um so if, if if i get an opportunity to visit a factory i'm on it I just, no matter what sort of factory it is we I just, yeah, yeah i mean no, like, i just love seeing like the sort of the layout the machinery yeah. the processes the people yeah. the management every aspect of it yeah. i'm just like this is cool and most people are like, oh you're going to visit the factory i'm like yeah it's gonna be awesome i can't wait <laughs> and like, i'll get really excited um so yeah i think yeah because we're inspired by producing bikes and producing things and making good things and yeah. scaling that up that's just essentially what drives the business to carry on growing so seeing someone like Brompton doing amazing things Brompton are doing remove a bit of a barrier to what's achievable for you. So if Brompton are doing that, then there's no reason why we can't oh, yeah. grow and we've got that sort of headroom. And then yeah. do you think on the other side, small brands seeing what you're doing, think, oh, if Temple were doing that, then we've got the opportunity. So you think yeah. those sort of success stories elevate every definitely the same way. And that's that's like hundred percent like seeing this like that that's like an awesome point. Basically, you know, if it can encourage more activity in this space, then brilliant. Like, um, yeah, I mean, I'd love to think that like Temple is inspiring smaller brands to sort of grow and scale 
haven't really thought about that to be honest because I kind of just kind of look upwards to the bigger brands. Well, yeah, so you always look forward and looking up, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Um, but you know, you know, the more the more people working in the bicycle industry, because um, everyone everyone who works in the bike industry is great and just is a, is a lot of passion there. Yeah. It's one of those industries where, you know, you can kind of it's a pretty safe bet that if you're speaking to someone who works in the bike industry, they're also bike mad as well. Always, yeah. It just means you can connect and like have fun and like go on a ride with them and just like lots of like sort of jokes about Shimano and this, that. And the other, <laughs> you know what I mean? So like it's it's always it's all good fun. Shimano for Campag and they sort of yeah yeah exactly arguments. yeah yeah. Exactly. Well, you're clearly passionate cyclists. That much coming through. And I mean, I, from my experience of lots of bike brands I've met, usually the people behind the brands are keen cyclists. Yeah, exactly. Not always in it for the money. No, exactly, exactly, and. um yeah, it's nice. I think it's we're all in it together as well, and we all help each other out as well. You know, like uh, even if there's like uh, so obviously with, with COVID and stuff and supply yeah. chain gaps and like not being able to get hold of certain components, it's like there's a lot of kind of helping out. So let's say we've you know we're short on some tires or whatever or a component, we can go speak to people and they'll sort of sort us out with a sort of like last minute deal to like get the parts we need and that kind of thing so like there's a lot of helping out there's a lot of sort of bigger picture we're like another nice thing about the industry is that we're one of the industries which is helping to like a greener future yeah um you know and and we're all doing it and i think we all realize that that it's is yeah it's kind of like has a good purpose for sure yeah. well that's a good note to end on uh, fascinating to talk to you mm. learn a lot about the brands and um look forward to well hopefully be a video on the uh, new road bike on the channel very soon so i'll go and watch that but yeah thanks for joining the podcast cool no thank you thanks for the time cheers